0: Okay, so for this episode, I'm going to look at one of my answers to a question on Quora. The question is, do liberal societies tend to fail in the long run, while conservative ones succeed most of the time? So, I started off by saying there is no definitive answer to this question, as the success or failure of a society can depend on a multitude of factors, including its political, economic, and social institutions, also known as the will of the people, as well as its historical context and geographical location. Furthermore, the terms liberal and conservative can mean different things in different contexts and cultures, so it is difficult to make broad generalizations about the success or failure of societies based solely on these labels. For example, self-professed conservatives will claim to be all about individual responsibility while expressing nationalist and traditionalist sentiments, which opens the door to two complex claims that may often be substantially at odds. You know, you have in one, on one side, I am distinct and unique versus I am a member of a family, tribe, nation, etc., That being said, it is worth noting that many of the world's most prosperous and stable societies today have liberal democratic systems of government, such as Canada, much of Northern and Western Europe, and yes, technically, still even the United States. So really, um, I'm interested in exploring that issue of the clash between distinct, unique individuality Versus conformity, family, nation, tradition, etc. You know, it's it's the classic question of um, where do you stand? Who who are you really? Do you determine your own identity and your own ideas and beliefs, or are they essentially handed to you, or are they maybe even genetic or something something like that? Maybe they're sort of fixed in your brain and all that kind of stuff you know nature versus nurture is another way of expressing it so i think that idea is always kind of interesting i think it's a complex question there's really no truly simple answer to it and the fact that people living in these types of liberal democratic countries have enjoyed pretty widespread or not widespread widespread prosperity is indisputable and a major reason that they also tend to be more peaceful and tolerant of diversity. A prosperous place is less likely to pick on marginalized groups or carve out new groups to marginalize and scapegoat. Of course, in recent years, you also have things like, you know, Donald Trump in the US, but also the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban and his self-styled quote-unquote, a liberal democracy, as I believe he has called it. You know, basically some sort of fascism, really, at the core. Still, the standard economic and social outcomes of liberal democracy are clear evidence that it is a preferable and effective way to organize a society, you know, uh, especially compared to other approaches that have been seen. So what about the more ideologically and religiously conservative societies of the world? What can really be said about those? Are these right-wing conservative societies good for America and other prosperous liberal democracies? I suppose in a very general sense, you can still trade with such countries. Obviously, corporations can benefit. You know, it's a global economy, you know. You don't always interact with the uh, the people that you would like to interact with when you're uh, in a complex system like that. Often we have mixed systems, so like the United States is certainly not 100% pure capitalism, if ever there could be such a thing. And it's also not 100% socialism or whatever term you would care to use. It's 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 a mixed bag, I guess you could say, and uh, basically what I mean by right wing conservative, you know, the the types who are clinging to so called traditional morality and a national way of life, having at least some core elements commonly associated with tradition, or in some cases, you know, if you want to go straight to the, you know, the dark beating heart, you might say associated with fascism. Then again, not all authoritarian societies are exactly or necessarily religious or traditionally right-leaning or otherwise conventionally simple to define. And I I suppose it depends on who you ask and how they define things, because for some people, any authoritarian system is considered right-leaning. So they might even say, you know, uh, a communistic system is actually conservative. You know, it all depends on how people define things, and you can find people who say that, oh, Adolf Hitler was actually, you know, on the left. You know, I don't think that's true, because I, I know the history of it. I know that Hitler actually hated Karl Marx, and he viewed communism as a, you know, a, a Marxist thing that was linked to... Uh, you know the the Jewish question that uh, he's so famous for uh, devastating the world with, you know the death chambers and all that kind of stuff, and uh, that that's really how he defined things. So I think I think that in some cases to uh, say somebody is you know on the left or on the right. It kind of it kind of clouds the issue anyway. The point is that these people are authoritarian. They are genocidal in some cases. They're power mad. They're controlling and dictatorial. And that's really not something that the world needs, whether it's, you know, Stalin or Hitler or whatever. And I, I kind of hate to do whataboutism, um when it comes to like discussions about fascism versus communism but it it, it does make sense to look at both types of s- systems you know because they they really at the end of end of the day they produce piles of bodies you know obviously they technically produce more than that but what we remember is their destructive capabilities and, you know, the, the current uh, authoritarian leader right now is uh, the world's second largest by population and arguably now uh, almost the most successful country, that would be China. They illustrate the challenges posed by a different political tradition, namely that of a convoluted blend of capitalism and party communism, or what both po- American political parties might dismissively and clumsily convey as the China threat. You know, not very easy to define, other than to say that, you know, China definitely has authoritarian elements and they're a powerful country, and they would no doubt seek to dominate resources and decision making. And, and of course, their own population and anybody that they consider a threat to themselves, and they're not so easy to define, aside from saying they are authoritarian. How can a relatively free country with a largely individualistic and expressive culture succeed when it comes to governance? I guess that's another question that would naturally come out of this sort of discussion. Well, one way is to convince everyone that they are uniquely responsible for their own lives. So, you know, if, if you do that in a sort of cynical way, it kind of doesn't matter if there is success in a uh, political system, because, you know, you're responsible for what happens in your own life. And then that's it. You achieve everything for yourself. And if the world somehow undermines your efforts, even in a, even in a plainly systemic way, then it was still you who failed as an individual. You know, that's, that's sort of what rugged individualism has often meant in American culture. It's really just sort of like an excuse or a, or a cudgel to beat people with, you know, your, your failings are solely your own. And uh, really, there is no successful gov- governance under that scenario, really. There's only individual success or failure. You know, it's 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 all about you. It's up to you. You're you're the main arbiter of your own virtues and success. You know, there's no. You might as well say there's no education system that brought you up uh, to believe certain things. You know, uh, it's it's all on you. You know, somehow magically. And, and really though, if you shine a light on this this idea, I think you get a bun- bunch of little cockroach and ratty details that are going to scatter around, such as the mere fact that society exists, human human organizations exist, you know, your family exists, and what they do or even say to you matters. You know, it has an impact. It's not just you out there uh, as an individual. In fact, your your very existence, of course, is owed to your parents, so that's kind of a sign right away that strict individualism is bullshit because you didn't conjure yourself into existence. Did you, there was sort of a wild and organic origin story that you had practically no control over um, unless you were to like somehow exterminate yourself in the womb or, or something like that. But, but you were born without Asking to be born, you know, you didn't, you didn't work hard, work hard at it necessarily. I think, I think this is plainly obvious, you know, it's a, it's a fact that when you were uh, created, it was not something, you know, you you planned out for yourself. (laughs) Of course, individuality does matter to an extent, but it's a limited extent. Um, if, if you want to know my more positive take on, you know, individuality, I, I do have some of those. There is like a, when I was looking at this, I was looking up for some good quotes that captured the positive nature of indiv- individuality. And I found this guy named Stephen Spender, who was an English poet and essayist. And he said that the world is experienced by each individual uniquely, that there are as many inner worlds as there are people. So I, you know, that's, I kind of hate to be this guy, but it's debatable to what extent that's true, of course. You know, I mean, uh, is everybody as, as complex as, you know, everybody else? Probably not. But it's still food for thought. It's kind of a poetic way to frame individualism as a sort of complex and philosophical and variable core to your own being, rather than some politically cynical excuse to let the status quo rob people blind and steamroll them in the name of rugged individualism. So that that Spender quote is more of a way to actually encourage positive elements of individualism It seems to beg you as an individual to make yourself understand the nuances and inner workings of your own life and your own mind. It's a good quote, not just some hollow bullshit, right? And uh, in contrast to that, I think a small-minded person might fear that sort of sentiment because it might allow too much deviation and threaten group cohesion. They might advocate for a society with a strong quote unquote, strong and flexible authority, upholding a rigid hierarchical and paternalistic political system of government not afraid to put the brakes on some elements of social change and modernity that are deemed non-traditional or a threat to their power structure. And that is really where we are at today, you know, the, the sort of clash between people who have many inner worlds versus those who only want, you know, like the almost straitjacket version, you know, the easy to define and uh, the sort of narrowly focused individual. And, you know, it, it sucks that this clash exists, but that's sort of the mainstay of human existence. You know, you're always, you're always up against these, uh, clashes between, you know, good individualism versus bad individualism, I suppose you might say, and of course, good group cohesion versus bad group cohesion, because there there can be positives and negatives of that as well. So, you know, I would say that at the end of the day, individualism does matter, but it's not the only thing. And uh, I'm going to basically stop right there and uh, obviously I might say have a good day and all that jazz, you know. Hopefully you understood what I was trying to say in this episode. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, go ahead and get a hold of me if you can and uh, have a good day.